Paulo was one of those thinkers whose work gave me a language. He made me think deeply about the construction of an identity in resistance. There was this one sentence of Freire's that became a revolutionary mantra for me. We cannot enter the struggle as objects in order later to become subjects. Really, it is difficult to find words adequate to explain how this statement was like a locked door. And I struggled within myself to find the key. And that struggle engaged me in a process of critical thought that was transformative. This experience positioned Freire in my mind and heart as a challenging teacher whose work furthered my own struggle against the colonizing process, the colonizing mindset. Bell Hooks, Teaching to Transgress, Chapter 4, Paulo Freire. Welcome to Season 4 of Safe Topics. In this series, we're talking about books. And other things. Yes, other things, but we're going to go deep on some books. Not like a full book review, but like a chapter-by-chapter review, which I guess adds up to a full book eventually. (laughs) Yes, and we're going to talk about anything else that makes us think about... How we teach. And why we teach. And we want you, the audience, to join us. Listen for details about how to do that at the end of this episode. All right, here we go. So in this chapter, Bell Hooks uses a writing strategy that I haven't really seen often, if at all, which is she's interviewing herself, basically, and she's using her her given name, Gloria Watkins, um, as a persona to talk to Bell Hooks, her chosen name. The, the intellectual, the academic, and, and there's a lot of challenges that come from Gloria to Bell Hooks. And in this, the main focus is the influence that Paulo Freire had on her work, on her life, on her thinking. And we we're talking right before we recorded here about how the explanation of how this is going to go down can feel like you're going to read something a little forced, contrived, like you know, a little, maybe even silly, but by the end, you're like, wow, she pulled it off. And this is, this is something that was really important to add to this, this collection of essays that really gets us to think more about not just our teaching, but our approach to life. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and I was really happy to hear that you wanted to talk about this chapter for it's just its structure and it's writing. Um, and I and I want to I want us to spend some time sort of analyzing it at that level. Um, mm-hmm. But I also want to just kind of let, let's let's um, uh, 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 document just a few more features of, of this uh, strategy. Right. So the chapter begins with her telling us what we're about to experience. Right. She says, this is a playful dialogue with myself, Gloria Watkins, talking with bell hooks, my writing voice. Right. And so she. She, she gives us the con- con- contrivance, right? The, the artifice right out the gate. She's like, this is going to be playful, right? And, and I need to give you this heads up because it's probably also a little weird, right? <laughs> so, and, and it starts off, you get Watkins and then indent, you get a paragraph. And then you get hooks and then indent, you get a paragraph. But after those first two moves, it's just then like, a block of text, right, with um, GW in italics and then BH in italics. Um, right. That's where you see the voices shift. Um, right. And then one more characterizing feature that stands out to me is that when, well, two things. When Gloria Watkins is asking, she's both inquisitive and critical, right? She's like that curious interviewer that wants to know, how did you write this or how did you think about this, right? And But she's also critical of Paulo Freire right? Um, aren't you concerned about the sexism in his work? Aren't you like, how do you square that with your own progressive and feminist sort of ideologies, right? So that's the Gloria Watkins uh, uh, sort of position in her questions. But what's interesting 
is when Gloria Watkins is speaking, she almost always uses sort of the academic convention of last name references. So it's always Frary. But when Bell Hooks is speaking, it's it's Frary, but it's also Paula. So there's that kind of, yeah, that personalization, the Sometimes it is the academic fairy, but oftentimes it's the, I know, I've met this person, Paulo, um, right? Which is kind of an interesting device she's using as well. Right. Well, you know, one of those, it makes me think of such a stupid, like, saying to me. <laughs> that might be insulting to some people, but it's like, the, you know, you ever heard, like, the man, the myth, the legend, right? Yeah. Yes. And, and so thinking about that, it's like, uh, Bell Hooks is talking about the man, Right. And, and Gloria Watkins is inquiring about the, the, the myth. Right. And by the end of the conversation, you kind of realize why this person's a legend. Right. Like in, in our circles, in, in teaching and learning. Right. Well, I know you just made me think about this. This is like going to conferences where you see on the agenda, like this person whom I've been reading since grad school is giving a keynote. Giddy. I know. And you're yeah. like, oh, my God. And then you meet the person and, and they're like cool or saying cuss words or like having a beer or like our coffee or just just a person and it's yeah. all of a sudden right you kind of like oh yeah of course they're humans <laughs> that's so true the, what's the expression is a starstruck right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and it totally happens to academics 100 <laughs> oh, percent. It, it does and but there is like a like a realness that that demystifies right and you're like oh yeah okay. oh yeah yeah oh, yeah. yeah okay so let's get into a little bit of the why she structured this chapter in this way and 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 how it how she pulls it off. Like so so what what is it that we're gaining from this by the end of it? Um, I want to start with uh, so page forty seven and I'll just read a quote. Um, so here Hooks is speaking, and she's grappling with uh, Gloria Watkins' question about uh, Freire's focus on um, conscientization, right? Yeah. Um, okay. And so the little part I want to read is this. Again and again, Ferry has had to remind readers that he never spoke of conscientization as an end in itself, but always as it is joined by m- meaningful praxis. Right. So, so conscientization, what I see Hooks doing in this structure is she's doing conscientization, right? She's doing critical. She's doing consciousness, like she's performing consciousness. She's she's enacting an awareness of herself, of her thinking, her uh, her her kind of critical mind, her playful mind, her pedagogical mind, her her emotional self, her relationship with Frary. All of these things she's she's allowing to come into the conversation. And I see the structure of this chapter itself a praxis. This is conscientization in praxis, right? right. That kind of metacognitive thinking uh, uh, here shared as a playful dialogue. Yeah. And for, you know, with the, the, the Gloria Watkins questioning, I, I think that Bell Hooks is never really, in my, in my interpretation of this, never really like overtly defensive or like defending Paulo Freire, right? right? It's more of like an explanation. That's right. It, it, it's more te- like she wants the whole story out there yep. and then says criticism is valid. Let's also recognize these, you know, the evolution of, of his thinking and, and approach. And at the same time, but not like in a way that a friend would defend someone and say, look, he did change. It was, it's not like that. It's more just like, let's see how the process you know, unfolded because there was a time when, yeah, I, I, I felt a certain way too about his work. Yeah, totally. So, so there's a great, great line on page 49. And this, this again is Hooks speaking. So the line is, it seems to me that the binary opposition that is so much embedded in Western thought and language makes it nearly impossible to project a complex response. Frere's sexism is indicative, indicated by the language in his early works notwithstanding that there's so much that remains liberatory, right? And so she's critiquing this binary thinking that, and that this is pervasive in Western Western ideologies, right? Western sort of epistemologies, right? Binary thinking. It's this and all of this, or if it's a little bit of that, then it has to be something else, right? 
Mm-hmm. And she contrasts that, and I'll, I'll wrap this up quickly. Um, she contrasts that a few pages later by talking about tapestries. So this yeah. is on 52. She says, I find much like weaving a tapestry, I have taken threads of Paulo's work and woven it into the versions of feminist pedagogy I believe my work as writer and teacher embodies. And I really love that, that contrast, that instead of binary thinking, I ha- I've adopted tapestry thinking. Right. Um, and, yeah. and again, I see that as sort of a praxis that this is what this sort of playful dialogue is. It's this tapestry thinking, right, enacted for us. Yeah. And I, I think of it, you know, with all of this is kind of in a way remaining with a binary, but thinking of it more as a dichotomy, you know, where you have um, you, you have. I, I feel like this is a lot with celebrities, right? Um, especially in the contemporary era, because, you know, talk about like cancel culture and all of these kind of things. Like there is a feeling of when a scandal uh, like hits the social media, you know, airways, and then also is like, you know, all over the media and, and people are talking about it. Um there, there is a feeling of like, this is now who this person is, right? Yeah, right. And, and the work they did before, if you appreciated it, liked it, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if I want to mess around with that anymore, right? I don't know if I want yeah. to hear, like, even in my car, I don't want people in the next car to hear I'm listening to this music by this artist that said this thing. Right. Even though I love their music before they said that thing, or I didn't even know they said that thing already and, you know, whatever. You're talking about Ye or Kendrick. What is this? Not not Kendrick. Um, Kanye West, right? <laughs> I, I'm. I, you know what? I wasn't gonna name names. <laughs> okay. We and I just that. prefer not to say his name for a lot of reasons. We, but can we can cut that. No, no, no. It's good. Let's keep it in there. But Kanye is a good example. Yeah, college dropout. Beautiful. Like I, I, I to me, like his artistry and like his the the. The things he did early in his career, well, you know, I have a lot of reverence for it. I've talked to yeah. him about it before. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I have like no connection to him and who he currently is and what he's doing. Like, I don't understand it and I don't want to get into it. No doubt. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not like going back into his catalog and listening to his music at this time, you know? Right. Um, can, can I respond to that? Just Sure, to- sure. So in my discipline, this is really, really challenging, right? Because we have authors who whose work has made massive, you know, um, and who's been, their work has been a huge influence, not just on the, the, the genre, but just in how we can teach, like Sherman Alexie, for example. When I first started reading Sherman Alexie's work, it, 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 it was transformative in my experience regarding poetry, uh, so my thinking about the discipline, but then what I could talk to my students about when we read Sherman Alexie together, I didn't have that platform before, but then learning about Sherman Alexie and how he's lived his life and how he treats, has treated women and how he's like talked about and thought about women. I'm also taking a pause, right? It's like, I'm not comfortable right now. I'm not ready yet to start to go back and read, um, there's lots that I want to say about that too that I don't necessarily think we need to get in here, but but I appreciate Hooks's tapestry thinking, and I think for me that's that's the way forward with 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 this particular dilemma. It and again, I'm not ready to say okay, yes, Bell Hooks says this, so I'm jumping back in, but yeah, yeah the the permission she gives us to reject binary thinking and the invitation into a more complex um, sort of uh, um, grappling with these issues and these works. Um, I, I appreciate that. Well, here's a challenge though. Binary, the word binary. Wow. How have that, how is that, you know, the meaning, the shared meaning of that word evolved, especially in academia, like that, that's a bad word, right? You're right. Yeah. Um, so the reason, you know, I, I may soften the blow euphemism, whatever you want to do, like the, 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 the dichotomy idea is it kind of lends itself to, you know, the theater arts and like the, the improv scene where it's like the yes and, right? Yeah. So it's like, yes, they are not great about this, <laughs> right? And yeah. we know they've done great work in these ways. And that's everybody, 
Like, let's, let's, let's keep digging and we'll find that with everybody. Right. Um, not to the extent of some people, some people are monsters and, um, well, yeah. And, and, and I, let's just, let's just connect this back to, to hooks real quick. Sure. Her sort of the warrant of tapestry thinking with Paulo Freire specifically is she says, she, and, and so here's a line on 49, just below a line I read earlier. There's no need to apologize for sexism. Freire's own model of critical pedagogy invites a critical interrogation of this flaw in the work, but critical interrogation is not the same as dismissal. Meaning Freire's own sort of framework invites a constant critique of his work. That's, that's, that's his, the nature of it, right? And therefore, where he's made mistakes and where he does totally misalign with certain progressive ideologies or more inclusive forms of, of teaching. Um, Freire's work is open to that, right? It's, it's intended to evolve. That may or may not be true of Sherman Alexie's work. That may or may not be true of, of, of Kanye West's work. And I think that's a, that's an important thing to say or to recognize. Side note, I, I, I always disliked Sherman of Alexie's work, but whatever. Oh, you know, cool. this, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but okay, as as you know, I, I will I will say that and say there's things I appreciate about his work. Sure. Of course. Terse writing, you know I love that shit, even though I could talk forever. But right. and, and I use a <laughs> lot of unnecessary words around the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> I just not do that. And and, and I do feel like I do feel the the labor in the craft when I'm reading his work of like, wow, this sentence right here, like I, I can't write a better sentence than that. So I do appreciate and respect it. Um, and the sentence does so much. It, it, it's it, it, That is amazing. I just like his voice in, you know, you, you have like the voice in your head, even before his scandals, it, like the voice in my head, I disliked. I was like, I don't like this person, you know, kind of thing. Right. That's just a personal, like, no, I got other, we've I talked got about other authors that everybody's like, they're brilliant. And I'm like, they're annoying, but whatever. <laughs> right before that passage you just read, I selected this one to okay. the same kind of theme here. Okay. And um, back to Bell Hooks here. There has never been a moment when reading Freire that I have not remained aware of not only the sexism in the language, but the way that he constructs a phallocentric paradigm of liberation, wherein freedom and the experience of a patriarchal manhood are always linked as though they are one and the same. For me, this is always a source of anguish for it represents a blind spot in the vision of men who have profound insight. And yet I never wish to see a critique of this blind spot overshadow anyone's and feminists in particular, capacity to learn from the insights. This is why it is difficult for me to speak about sexism in Freire's work, difficult to find the language that offers a way to frame critique and yet maintain the recognition of all that is valued and respected in the work. Basically what we were just saying, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly. And I'm glad you read that whole passage because that that really it shows the complexity of what she's grappling with here, right? Yeah. That we all grapple with. We, and I think more so now than ever with eyes and ears on everything and even retroactive, you know, scandalous remarks of like this person tweeted a decade ago this thing. And it's like, now they're not a good person now. And anything that happened in between we need to really look at that with a with a different lens, which I think looking at it in a different lens is appropriate. I, I just, I don't know. I'm not the judge of all the other things, but it, it, it's certainly a very interesting sociological um, uh, situation. Like when, when I'm looking at it, I'm like, so what now is it like, do we, do we, you know, because there was always this phrase of like, when you read this or you watch this, understand that this is like, they're a person of their time. Right. And I'm wondering, does, is, is that kind of, are, do we still subscribe to that idea to get, like as Bell Hooks is saying, to get what is valuable out of that? And even that itself, the sexism and racism that might be in 
um, past works is a lesson that we need, right? Yeah. But then also like, or is it that we totally dismiss right. because they are a person of their time, but that time and that person are flawed and so incongruent with the way that we think things should be. Okay, so this, this calls into focus the nature of academic criticism and that what we do when we engage academic inquiry uh, is we go out and we do a literature review and we say, here's the knowledge base, here's where it's on, here's where it's flawed, here's where it's askew, let me add to it, let me clarify it, let me illuminate it. Fill in a gap. Mm-hmm. What we do in that moment is we stake out new knowledge and we, and by, by staking out new knowledge, we also call out, you know, here, here's where we had it wrong before, whatever that might be. That's assertive. That is, um, it's meant to be, uh, 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 what's the word I'm trying to say? It's fixed. We're fixing our thinking about those knowledge bases in that particular paper or that speech, that conference, whatever it is. You said, okay, let's think of someone doing the work but a person who's a product of their time. I think yeah. we, we could think of you and I right now as trying to do the work of teaching as a practice of freedom, but fixed in this particular moment of time in us doing that work. We That's probably right. could come back and listen to this podcast in three years and go like, oh my God, did you hear how I phrased that? You know what I mean? Like, and, go ahead. And I would say, I hope that's what we say. Me too. Right? Me too. But let me make one more point. I think another really amazing, <laughs> well, I'm trying to find the words, something that's so cool about this dialogue, this playful dialogue, is Hooks is resisting that academic writings uh, uh, um, um, norm, right? Yeah. In having a dialogue with herself, she is allowed to in- grapple with that, that complexity, right? She's yeah. not here saying, this is so, and this is so. She's saying, this is all, all, this is all it is. It is this and it's that. And here's what we can kind of think of. And then, and then she comes in and questions, but what did you mean by that? Or aren't you, uh, this, uh, this is also true. And then she gets to say, yes. And yes, mm-hmm. does that make sense? So the dialogue it, it, form yeah. versus the monolithic speech or paper or conference form, I think is being called into interesting into interesting light here. And, which makes me think of, you know, the, the kind of idea of like, know your audience, right? So sure. this is written for us. That's what this is, the, the whole book, right? All right. this, collect, the, the collection of essays here is for educators, for um, people in, you know, in higher education, I think, uh, specifically, right? Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, when you go to a conference, the titles of the sessions and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, the work that's being presented and the way that it's presented is really inaccessible to people who are not in that building at that time. Right. Because it's usually we're writing for each other in a competitive need to impress and, and, and a very climbing um, uh, environment of like, people are trying to get their PhD. People are trying to get a good grasp on how they're going to defend their dissertation. People are trying to get publications so that they can earn tenure or even be, or have an opportunity for a tenure job, usually at a university, if you're concerned with research at that level, right? The dichotomy is we should recognize that is not how we should teach students, first-year students especially, that, that we get at the community college. So if you go from that conference, you know, uh, graduate level, postgraduate level presentation of things, and now you're teaching that same subject to people at the community college who the first day of class were like, I wonder what sociology is. If you can't make that switch, then you're not going to really be effective. And in fact, you're just going to create distance from the people you're claiming you want to have closeness with. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. hundred percent. That's absolutely right. So audience. Yes. 
Um, I think it's interesting though. I mean, Hooks at one point in this book, Hooks is like the this is called the distinguished uh, professor. Uh, yeah, Bell Hooks is distinguished professor of English at uh, City College in New York. This is the back of the book. Right. Uh, she's the author of many books. So I think you're right. I think she is writing to teachers. She's writing to academics also as a distinguished teacher in this form, right, um, um, of, of the scholarly book. And she's writing also as a teacher of the kind of students that you're describing, right? So so let's make a quick connection back to um, engaged pedagogy chapter um, yeah. and Gary. Remember Gary? I remember Gary, the student. Yeah, the, the fraternity student. Yeah, so I'm on page 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like now, having read this Paulo Freire chapter and this style of writing, yeah. I'm seeing I'm seeing her talk about tapestry thinking way back in engaged pedagogy when she says, um, uh, and this is Gary writing. Gloria had only mentioned the entire episode once after it was over. Sorry, sorry, and and this to tell me simply that there are many kinds of choices, many kinds of logic. I could make those events mean whatever I wanted as long as I was honest. Remember that? Remember that quote? Consistency is important. Yeah, I do. And I feel like she's enacting that in this chapter. She's absolutely. She can say anything she wants to as long as she is honest. She can do anything with these events, anything with these works, anything with Paulo Freire and and the complexity of who he is and what his work is, as long as she's honest about it. And that in between this dialogue between herself and herself, that's that's exactly what she's doing, right? And it, it, look, Bell Hooks is probably known best for this book. Yeah, I, I would say this, yeah. this is, you know, seminal work, potentially. Yeah. There's some other really good ones, and, and maybe we'll get to those at a later date. Yeah. But when I think about that, I think about the characters now, right? Like this isn't this isn't like a, a narrative, you know, sequential chapter book, right? It's a collection of essays. Yeah, right. There are still characters that yeah. are that are present and recurring. And right. thus far, what are some of those characters? Right. Um, and I was going to say, not only is she known for this book, but she's known for being a radical black feminist. Yeah. That those are her words to describe herself as well. Right. And so thinking about that, the characters in the book, Gary, a student. Right. Male. Yeah. Paulo Freire. Male. Right. Thich Nhat Hanh, Buddhist monk. Yeah. Male. Right. So she's embodying also the idea of like, look at who I'm learning from. And maybe these were my limited options, right? That's that's a part of it. But right. then also like the the dichotomy thing again and the tapestry thing again. It's like I'm right. learning from these people, but look at what I'm pulling from them that yeah. may even be opposed to the way they are and the way that they think, which tells me that learning is just it's just as important to learn from your good examples and bad examples and the bad examples within your good examples yeah and you know going back to like that fandom and that like that that feeling of well first off when she went to go see paulo Freire in person for the first time at her own college she was being denied access and right being told you know not so not so secretly if it was a secret it certainly got out that you know they didn't want her to cause a scene they didn't want her to challenge right. they you know they wanted this to go well which going right. well means you know that everybody gets along and we clap at the end and we all feel good yes she got in right and this is on being in paulo's presence and we're bringing me back tignat han too so back to the book here tignat yeah. han teaches a certain milieu is born at the same time as a great teacher. Oof. And he says, when you, the teacher, come and stay one hour with us, you bring that milieu. It is as though you bring a candle into a room. The right. candle is there. There is a kind of light zone that you bring in. When a sage is there and you sit near him, you feel light. You feel peace. That, to me, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, if you could take the sexist language aside, uh, right, and the, and the bias language aside, 
and 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 feel that message of being a light being a candle brought into a room and 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 feeling light and i think light is used in both ways there right uh, airy and 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 weightless but also brightness and and seeing clearly i it, it's just a beautiful way to think about our craft in in amid like the grading and uh, emails and all of the things like if you can if you can return to that for an hour it it's almost like it's an intrinsic reward for all parties that i hope remain sacred and presence in in what we do yeah i mean yeah that <laughs> that that quote uh it, it it's takes, hard, huh? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's one of those where I don't even want to really respond to it critically at all. Just want to sort of let it sit and sort of contemplate. Yeah. Um, but it goes back to just that presence, right? The the being, the being form of being a teacher. Not not all the, you know, the blooms verbs, but just the what comes before that, just the presence, oh. right? So I, I I really appreciate that quote. It really reminds me of you know the the need to have a generalist mindset within a very specialized profession you teach literature i teach sociology i mean it it can become even more specialized than that however it's pretty specialized as is but then to have a generalist approach to learning i think is the best modeling we can do for students as they are in these classes that are specialized but getting what is you know institutionally defined as general education right mm -hmm. and to not forget that most of the learning happens outside of the classroom and comes from sources that uh you know i want to say are strange because not strange and like weird but strange in that they're unexpected and so you know to me, if you're not Buddhist, you know, to learn from a Buddhist monk may not be like the 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 resource you go to immediately or at all. Yeah. However, that that line in Thich Nhat Hunt's thinking there just it really reveals to me it's a light, it's a candle in my dark room of like what where where does learning come from, right? And and the answer is always everywhere, always. And I think that gets lost in a lot of the the process of um, the work that we engage in. And and what so okay, I'm glad that we didn't pivot away. You're making you're reminding me of the line you read at the beginning of this, right? When Frary uh, uh, says, well, when Hook says, "There's this one sentence of Frary's that became a revolutionary mantra for me: we cannot enter the struggle as objects in order." later to become subjects what, right. that makes, what that reminds me of is the language of we we engage in a field of knowledge together we labor in a field of knowledge together as instructors and as students right and so this 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 practice of teaching this kind of practice of teaching is one in which it depends upon us together right being together being present together and i so it makes me think of that illumination. That's true, but it's it's something that the way I read that or want to think about that is it's an illumination that a teacher brings that suddenly we can all do an activity within. Like before that kind of teacher presence was there, we may have been able to think about this in certain ways or understand it to a certain degree. But once that presence is there, it's like now we can be active. Now there's something I can see that I'm invited. I'm a part of. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm struggling. For no, work. no, it, it it does. But we got to go back to the beginning of that 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 Thich Nhat Hanh uh, passage yeah. that where a certain milieu is born at the same time as a great teacher. That to me, okay. So when we're thinking about a milieu, if we just right. think of that as a context, think of it as just a context. Right. Yes. So a a certain context is born at the same time as a great teacher. That's fucking true. Like yeah. when you are when you are. Uh, teaching and like you you're at the point where it's like you're breaking through like I know what because you start with what I want to teach but when you get to I know how I want to teach 
Yeah. I think that's when you become a great teacher, right? Like that, 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 well, it's certainly helpful. And at that time, that's a context, right. that how, the what is like very superficial. It, it's the object part of it. And so I think about students coming to college. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to sign up for classes there. And, and, and to no fault of anybody, that right there, you're making yourself an object. I'm a student now in college. I'm enrolling in these classes. And then the idea of like entering that, but not knowing your subjectivity, not knowing your subjectness, not knowing that you are a subject. Yes. I think that that is what hinders a lot of people because I have to be a student. That's a fixed objective way of being in the mind, even though the definition may vary from person to person. They come with that. Then yeah. they're that. Yeah. But then where is their subjectiveness in that? Yeah. And if that doesn't emerge quickly, it may not emerge at all. And it may be rule following, climbing, and then it becomes bureaucratic. And that's when right. universal structures and applications of ways right. of doing things become a lot more the norm because that is what's expected of us. There was no, there was no pool. There was no inspiration. There was no asking me as if you needed permission to yeah. be a subject, to be a subject, right? Right. Yes. Sorry, I'm kind of like. I'm no, no, into, I love it. I love it. I love that. it. I love it. Because it's like, yeah, if I, if I go to college because I must go to college to get into the good grad school and I must go to grad school so I can get the good job and then I must, then I am object. I am just. Linear. Some, and I know you fucking hate linear, Curry. I've seen your <laughs> class structure. <laughs> but I've become objectified within a larger system that's simply churning me and others like me out in order to become part of a labor force or the American dream or whatever other kind of narrative we, right? It's yes. Pushing on I, you. It's pushing right. on you. Versus, you push back though. Right. Versus I, I occupy those spaces with my own subjectivity, my own agency, my own positionality, my own decision-making and, and therefore make of that system something that I determine. And this goes back to the male view part. And I, and I want to, so first kind of pivot towards teachers, Milu. I, I teach in a room where when my students come in, the professor right before me has the desks like cluttered over there and like yeah. in a circle over here. And you can just see the milieu, right? The kind right. of learning environment that just is effusive, just sort of rolls off this teacher as they occupy that space versus another of our colleagues who's desks are in perfect rows, right? Who often brings artifacts and other objects to class and whose form of lecture has everyone in those rows leaning on their seats, mm. desperate to like write stuff down in their notebooks. That, and, and then there's everything in between, right? And so I, I think I think sometimes this melee is tangible. It's, it's actual, like you can see it and it's evidence of our teaching practices. But it's what you're saying too. It, it sort of stems from this subjective, right? Kind of pedagogical sort of just, I am this kind of teacher, and and I and I've, I've kind of come into that, um, you know, born together with all that stuff. That's cool. Yeah, and I, I think there is space. There, there, there's certainly space in my mind for us to be subjects and objects in these different contexts, in these different milieus. Yeah. And what I mean is like. Maybe I'm going to this class. It's a lecture class. I'm a student in this way. I follow the rules and do that. But then also, then I go to this other class and it's like, I, I don't think that professor ever lectured. Like, I, we just go in there and we're expected to like get into it, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're talking about stuff. The room's loud, you know? And the other yeah. one, we just hear one voice. Yeah. And I do want to push back on the idea that, that the, the former is, is, you know, the lecture room is uh, oppressive versus the latter, which is now like, that's the way it should be. Yes. You know, I, I heard somebody actually, I was having a conversation with a colleague the other day and they're like, you know, I want to totally get away from lecturing. And I was like, that's a shame because you're fucking good at it. You know, right. like, you know, like I love hearing right. you talk. Like, I, right. yeah. but I understand the idea of like getting away from it. Maybe it's because of, you know, your own boredom, but more likely it's because you know that, Active learning has been shown to do this and that, but, but, you know, we don't want to lose the gift that you are giving us in favor of the wave that is consuming us. Yeah, totally. 
and I've experienced in my own teaching, I've always embraced a postmodernist approach, uh, a decentered classroom that's now I, that's now evolved into the decolonized classroom. So I'm thinking about ways that my authority as a teacher limits or constrains the authority of my students to be agents of their own learning. So I'm thinking about that. But I've been challenged in folks who've observed my class, who've really been involved in my teaching, challenged to speak up more. That that what I I where my where I fault is I create too much space. I I, I allow a question to be asked. And when no student can really answer it, I just say, okay, we're not ready. And I walk away. And and the critique is like, dude, <laughs> stay there. You could answer that question. You could model for them a way of answering. You could model for them a way of asking a better question. And and so it's not necessarily a lecture, but I've been challenged more into that. Hey, hey, be be an authority sometimes because there is value within this larger configuration of teaching and learning that you've created, right? Um, and I've really I've really appreciated that. I think that's totally insightful. So yeah, the lecturer who's now feeling maybe I should back away from this. I would say a bit, but not total, right? Like, yeah, explore that. There, that that's fruitful. Um, but if 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 your lecturing is is generative, why why would you stop? This is the way I think about it, Curry. Sometimes I think exercising maybe some people would consider it authority, but that that lecturing that performative part of being an academic. Showing off your intellectual prowess, your your critical thinking skills, and your public speaking. Um, when you do that, that may help with the buy-in that students will then believe that you belong to be where you are. Yeah. But then pulling away from that and doing things in the other way that we're explaining shows them why you should stay there yeah, yeah, and yeah. why they're there. Sure, sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I, 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 that's what I feel because, you know, I get like, oh, you, you should lecture more. I like it when you lecture. And to me, it's like an easy interpretation of because that's easier for you. Yeah. But no, let me just believe them for a second. They yeah. actually like the way that I explain the thing, probably better than when they're reading it or whatever. Right. And 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 I do it, you know, it's still interactive. I'm asking a lot of questions and things like that, but I'm definitely, you know, there's a part of it where it could be interpreted as like showing off, right? Of like how I can put all these words together in all these different ways and come up with examples on the fly. And okay, you say this, I'm gonna work that into your, you know, and, and I I fucking love doing that. Like that's my shit. Like I love doing that. <laughs> so I think it's kind of like always bouncing back and forth with this like. I would describe my classroom as like, I am bouncing back and forth and often straddling the line between chaos and order. You don't know what to expect. You're kind of caught off guard. Things are a little crazy. Then it's like, no, but we're going to do things in this exact way. And this, we're going to follow this. And, you know, and, and I really want you to do it like this. And I think that that in teaching sociology is a microcosm of society. Sure. We have the chaos. We don't know what to do. We're caught off guard. And then we see how as a group and as a collective and as individuals, we think about it, process it, you know, discourse is created. And then and, and then I think like, you know, the order part is like most of the day. You better leave by 830 to get to the thing by nine. And then you do this when you get there, you know. So I think being comfortable in the routine and, and the structure, but just know that it's not going to be like that all the time. Right. And you know, I think that that's learning in itself. Oh yeah, totally. And I like thinking about that, how how the milieu of our teaching can mirror also sort of the disciplines. My, you know, composition, I, I emphasize process probably far more than I emphasize product in my teaching, uh, in, my, in my classes, right? And then my teaching is sort of a mirror of that as well. Like what I want us to constantly be doing is becoming comfortable with the mess and the process that lets us move from the mess and that liminal space into that more certainty, that the more clarified structures, the right, and and I <laughs> we do that as much as we talk about that, right, or or study that. Um, so that's kind of I interesting. I love that, and I and I love the way that you go about it too, uh, as well as a lot of your your colleagues, because I um, 
this is what I love because there is this idea of like, you're writing these essays that no one's going to read beyond this class. And what, where, where do they go? They don't do anything. Right. Yeah. You can have that, but that process that stays with you. Yeah. So it is less about like, is anybody else going to read this? That doesn't matter. Did you write five drafts? Did you talk about it with other people? Did you have insights along the way? No one could take that from you. That can't be crumpled into a ball thrown in the trash, never looked at again in a, you know, a learning management system like Canvas. You know, it doesn't just go away. Th- that that process is staying with you. So the next time you have an idea to do something or you got to write something up, you may consult other people. You'll know how to research it. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll do the things because you know the things to do yep. as opposed to, you know, yeah, but I wrote a bunch of essays in college, you know. Well, what good did that do me? Well, right. it did you every damn bit of good? <laughs> yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, well, that'll be my promotional piece for y'all. Sweet. <laughs> can, we, can, can we wrap up with a couple things here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so I'm going to wrap up with the very last couple lines, which I think are tremendous. So back to the book here. Only that word seem to be not good enough to evoke all that I have learned from Paulo. Our meeting had the quality of sweetness that lingers, that lasts for a lifetime. Even if you never speak to the person again, see their face, you can always return in your heart to that moment when you are together to be renewed. That is a profound solidarity. (laughs) So I think back with my college professors who really, really changed everything for me. And I haven't talked to them in a long time. I haven't seen their faces, but in my heart, I do, I do return to those moments. And even if we've lost like contact, it, it, thinking about them and the time we had and, and, and how that had, you know, shaped my own path and trajectory. It's certainly a profound solidarity because every time I, Hark back to those moments. It's a. Uh, it it strengthens the bond. Yeah. And I'm really grateful that Bell Hooks uh, articulated that for me. It's it's a it's that gesture of love. That that's what I, I read in the words. That's what I hear and 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 see on your face right now, Sean. Um, hearing your voice, and I it's and that that hooks articulated that for you. There's a line on that same page you read. This she said a southern phrase. My tongue was in my friend's mouth, right? And so that sentiment that you feel here, you know, on the page that Bell Hooks wrote. Thanks a lot. You made me think of a bunch of weird stuff now. <laughs> I know. I, I, that phrase caught me off guard, too. Um, yeah. the, the meaning there is. Yeah, you need to, you need to, you need to continue this follow-up, my friend. <laughs> she says. Okay. You just threw me off course. Sorry, like, wait, am I even? Uh, I don't know about bell hooks anymore. Hold on. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she's talking. So Hooks is talking about coming across a lovely passage from Paulo that echoes so intimately my own worldview that it was as though, to use the old Southern phrase, my tongue was in my friend's mouth, right? And so she's quoting Paulo Freire as a way to conclude this chapter. And Gloria, right, in the interview says, "Yes, I can hear you saying exactly, or I can hear you saying those very words." And then you hear Sean saying what Hooks has stated in the line that you 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 phrased is is what you feel in your heart and what you know to be true about the solidarity you feel with your with your professors. Um, 
Yeah, no. Yeah, certainly. And despite the weird, <laughs> the weird connotation I added, for me, I'm just hearing again that gesture of love. That when you boil all of this particular pedagogy down to its essence, to me, it's about love. It's about it's about love. Yeah, I I just can't get out of my mind. Like I would be really confident in teaching the idea that you don't your your tongue should not be in your friend's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna teach that across the board. Like that's like in my class with my own children, even my friends, I'm gonna be like, you know, your tongue doesn't belong over here in my mouth. You're 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 saying you're gonna add this to your syllabus. <laughs> It's going to be the first line. There's the chaos. Let's start there. And then we'll build up to some kind of order. They'll be like, what's that tongue quote? And the you hopefully will never have to know is what I'll say. <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's a, that's a good place to stop, reflect, minus the tongue stuff. Um and uh, before we move on to the next chapter, yep. I'm glad I have a real conversation with you. Not, not, <laughs> not one where I was saying, this is what Curry would ask me. True. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The next chapter, though, bound to be good. Theory as liberatory practice. There's a dichotomy there, isn't there? Yep. Yep. And a tapestry to weave. Yep. Cool. Right on, man. If you heard anything in this episode that has you thinking about how you teach, why you teach, or if anything made you feel joyful or even mad, like you just yelled at your dishes or whooped while you were walking your neighborhood. I've done those things. <laughs> then we really want to hear from you. You can find us on the Twitter at Safe Topics. Let us know how you're responding to today's book stuff. Like, what did we miss? Or what did we totally get right? Or what questions did we raise for you? And best of all, how are you thinking about your teaching and students? We'll update what we're reading so you can read along if you want. And your feedback will shape our discussions as we go. We may even read some comments in the episodes to come. And not just the nice ones. Safe Topics is a safe setting for dangerous topics. That's right. If you like this episode, please rate and subscribe. We've never really asked people to do that before. I know. I think it's cool, though. We're ready to be rated and subscribed Yeah, and big thanks to Kelly Burnett and the rest of the Safe Topics team for editing, producing, promoting, and all the other wonderful backstage stuff you do. <laughs> and thank you for listening. <laughs>